All right, good. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. I know that there are other people that will be coming in as well, but my name is Dwight. I'm one of the pastors of Church 21. Uh, we have, uh, we're experiencing this thing called COVID. I'm assuming it's impacting you at some level as well. Uh, but what we've had to do is we've had to do what everyone is doing, right? That famous P word. Who knows what it is? What is it? It rhymes with uh, rivet. Yeah, there you go. And I didn't give my wife that answer before, before we came. But now we are, uh, we're still Church 21, but we're now meeting in um, five or six different locations, five locations. I think we have six services today. I was just an NDG that was like overflowing um, in, in a good way, not over limits, hit limits. But, um, but yeah, we're needing to do this thing. Plus the 11 o'clock service today is online. So welcome to those of you who are at home uh, watching this, uh, glad that you are with us. I uh, just have a few announcements. Uh, number one, I'm so glad that your kids are here. I'm so glad you guys are here. Diti and Josephine are like, you know, you existed in my mind for eight or nine months, but now you're, you're real. So I'm so glad that you guys are here with Nora. Uh, you don't know what you're missing by being at home. Like, I'm just going to call out all the things that you're missing here. Uh, but so glad that you're here. Um, I just want to do a few announcements and then we'll get, we'll get going with, uh, with our sermon. Uh, first announcement is if you're new, uh, you could take out your phone, you could uh, take a picture of that, but I think that I recognize almost all of you. So you could take a picture of that and we would get in touch with you. We would put you on the weekly email list and make sure that you are well connected. Uh, second, <clears throat> city groups. City groups are really where we get to be the family uh, as a church. Everything is smaller uh, now, of course, but City Groups is one step even smaller with like, I think, six to 15 people. Uh, So these are people that before we couldn't meet with anyone in their house, we were able to meet with a few people from our City Groups, and this is really where we get to be family. So if you're not part of a City Group, you could email engage at church21.ca. If you can read that, you have really good eyesight, by the way. So... Third, there's an update. Uh, this is our last week that we're going to be doing this downtown at 11 o'clock. Um, you will notice that there are other people doing other things in this building. And below us, you will hear music. And over there, you will hear music. And it has just been a party. Uh, so we're now changing the downtown time to 6 p.m. We're going to be meeting downstairs. There's like a gym warehouse feel. It's really nice. And so we're going to be meeting there at 6 p.m. And it'll allow for us to have a little bit more time and it's quiet. So we won't be meeting here at 11 o'clock next week. Online, we're going to figure out when to do the live stream. Uh, So we'll send out that info. Wednesday prayer meeting, 7 a.m. Wednesday morning. I know that some of you are like, that. I didn't even know that time existed. Uh, but that's like noontime for me because I have four little kids that get up at the crack of before dawn. So um, 7 a.m., we're praying for people to meet Jesus. We're praying uh, for uh, unity amongst the churches in the city. We're praying for COVID to be done. We're pr- like, we're, we're praying together, and it just keeps growing in number every week. So if you... Um, if you want to be part of that, well, you can talk to me after, or if you don't receive our weekly email, I would love to send that to you, and it's all in that weekly email. Uh, are there any youth age people here? No. Yes? Are you 17? No. <laughs> uh, so, if you're between 12 to 17, all right, and online, there probably are people. Um, we, are, we have started, like, Church 21 Youth. And, um, and so this coming Friday at the church in Verdun that we're meeting at, 
we're going to be uh, gathering. So you need to be on the weekly email to get this information. And then on the 20th, November 20th, we're doing a live stream. I think I'm speaking at that. I'm not sure. But that's a citywide live stream where 10 of the downtown churches are working together. And so we'll get all that information to you. But if you're a youth, part of our church, we really want you involved in this. Announcements are long this morning. Oh my goodness. I haven't even gotten into the sermon yet. The kids are probably breaking down already. Uh, explaining faith here next Sunday. Last week, uh, there was someone um, from a Hindu background who came and explained what they believed. Uh, next Sunday, the group is actually going to process how does a Christian worldview um, engage with the, the Hindu worldview. So uh, explaining faith here, 1230 downstairs in the gym. And uh, lastly, I think, Reach Canada Initiative. Uh, we've raised, I think, around $10,000 so far. But really, we want to see churches planted all across Canada. There's seven projects that we're supporting this year. And, um, and ba- the, oh, here we go. I'm not very good at announcements. I enjoy preaching, but like these things, I'm not very good at. So thank you. Again, I did not ask my wife to say that before we came here. So <laughs> here's a list of things I need you to say throughout, throughout my time. Um, if you're interested in supporting, this can be like $5 to $5,000. And if you want to go beyond $5,000, like I might even show up outside your house with like a little bag of food or something. But we really want to see these, uh, these new churches planted and new communities uh, formed. So yes, that's it. All right, scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 31 to 33. So Matthew is a book in the New Testament, first book in the New Testament. Bible is broken down into two big sections, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, Matthew, first book, chapter 13, verses 31. These are like address markers that just help us to know where, where things are. All right, so Jesus presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it was all leavened. And then we'll jump to Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. So let's pray. And uh, before we pray, I just want to remind us that this is a unique time for us that we get to be participating with one another. So I'm going to have us participate during the sermon, but then the second part of our gathering is when we get to really participate. We're praying that the Spirit of God is giving us insight, that He's speaking to us, that we're be able to build one another up and encourage one another and challenge one another. So just get ready. The second half of our gathering really is participatory. We sent out in an email these, um, this text so that you'd be able to read this throughout the week and that you'd be ready to coming here having already processed it. But if you're arriving without doing that, that's okay. We'll do that together this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get going on this. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've given us this place. I realized this morning, before preaching for the first time in NDG, just how unthankful I was for some of the spaces that we're using. Um, Because there's loud music, and the place this morning smelled really bad, and I was just 
really unthankful, and yet you reminded me that we have a place that we can gather and where we can meet and that we're allowed to do this. So thank you so much for that. Uh, I want to pray for us and for our hearts that you would prepare our hearts for what we're going to hear, that we wouldn't sit back as consumers, but rather we would sit forward as participants, ready uh, to engage with your word. We believe that you speak to our hearts directly, and so would you do that this morning? Would you light up new affections for you? I want to pray for those of us who might be here or watching that don't yet know you, Jesus, and that this morning they would understand who you are and they would be welcomed into what you called the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And um, yeah, please, please help us as we're walking through your, your text. We love you. Amen. All right, so we're doing this series on parables. Uh, what's a parable? Does anyone have any idea? I'm sure you have an idea and you're wondering, do I want to say that because I'm not sure if it's right or not. Parable. It's a story, yeah. It's a story. And it's meant to do what? A story meant to do what? Yeah. So the way that I think of a parable, it might not be correct, but it doesn't matter um, at this moment. I think of a parable like a, a walnut, right? And you can be walking down the street and you can see a walnut and you can probably correctly identify that this species of nut, if there are species of nuts, I'm not sure. You see that I'm out of my element often when I start going on these trails. But you see a walnut and you would say, ah, that's a walnut, and then you could pass by. But if you're really hungry, or you thoroughly enjoy walnuts for some reason, you might stop and you might open up that walnut and find that there's actually real food in there and deeper meaning. And that's kind of what a parable is. That a parable is given out to everyone. There's no confusion. The text I just read, I guarantee that everyone understands what's happening. But there's also something that's, that's much deeper. So why do you think that Jesus taught in parables? There was a moment in his ministry where he stopped teaching doctrine, right, which is a fancy word for teaching, and he began to teach in parables. Why do you think that is? Put it on airplane mode so no one can text me the answer. Well, Jesus taught in parables because there was a moment where the religious leaders were so fed up with Jesus that they were ready to kill him. The things that Jesus were teaching, people were like, I love Jesus. He's so nice and gentle and lowly and wonderful. But the things that Jesus was teaching, people wanted to kill him for. There was this one sermon he, he taught in his own hometown. And they're like, oh, this is amazing. We've never heard anything like this. And then by the, by the time that Jesus had, had wrapped up everything, they were ready to throw him off a cliff. Right? So Jesus doesn't give these nice, pithy, uh, Twitter-friendly statements. Jesus was very uh, revolutionary in, in his teaching, so much so that he was going to be killed for it. So Jesus stopped, and he kept teaching publicly, but he taught privately because he started talking about, like, what we just read about, mustard seeds and leaven. It's like, who's going to put a man to death for talking about a mustard seed? But yet, if you have ears to hear, Jesus said, there's something deeper. So if you're willing to actually crack open that walnut, there's something far better than the exterior of the walnut. There's something far richer for us. And so the beautiful thing is that the parables are accessible to kids, right? I'm pretty sure that all the little babies playing with other things, they're not going to get it. But, but my kids, they get these. We've been talking about these parables all week long, right? It's simple enough for children to understand, and yet 
we can hear it and reject it as well and say, oh, that deeper meaning is not really for me. So uh, this week we're going to be talking about uh, the cost and the worth of following Jesus. All right, you with me? We're going to talk about the cost and worth of following Jesus. And we're going to look at the four stories that were just read from Matthew chapter 13. Let me tell you about Matthew first. Sometimes we just assume that everyone knows what Matthew, who Matthew is and why Matthew's there. Well, Matthew was, was like a robber that the, that the government allowed to exist. So Matthew was a Jewish man who worked with Jewish people. And when they would enter into his town and city, he was required to take a tax. But the beautiful thing about his job is that sky was the limit on what he could do or how much he could get. And so he would say, oh, today the, the tax is, uh, is a toonie. But really he only has to give back to Rome a loony. Yes, loony toonie, right. So he gets a dollar out of that, right? So he gets to extort his people. So if you're known as the extortionist in you, your uh, neighborhood, how, how liked are you? Right, probably not that liked because people know that you're just ripping them off and that your existence is built off of their downfall, And so Matthew one day is sitting at his tax booth and Jesus comes by. And do you know what Jesus says? You dirty, rotten, nasty tax collector. No, he doesn't say that at all. I'm just seeing if you're with me. Those of you who are like, yeah, amen. It's like, no, that's not what he said. Jesus Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. He said to this enemy of the state, follow me. I want you to be my disciple. And then Matthew writes his biography of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection. And he calls the book Matthew, right? Wouldn't that be so much easier if you had to title a book by your name instead of having to think of a a cute one that would sell? And Matthew, we're going to see, knew these parables by experience. All right, so Matthew knew these parables by experience. Not just intellectual knowledge, but really by experience. All right, so let's actually get into this. Uh, Matthew 13, verse 44. Also, I'll just say this because there are little kids around. Um, when Jesus was teaching, kids started coming toward him. Uh, he, the disciples stood up and were like, no, 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 no. Like, kids, you can't, you can't come around. And Jesus was like, sit down. Sit down, disciples. Right? L- little kids, you, you have to learn to receive the kingdom that we're going to talk about like little kids. Don't stop them from coming to me. Like, let them come. Now, you don't need to let your children crawl to me, uh, but, like, don't worry about them making noise. We, we can all, like, tune out screaming. It's all good, all right? So, uh, Matthew 13, 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So that's really simple, isn't it? The story is so simple. A man... Kind of trips over treasure, buries it deeper, sells everything he has, buys a field because the joy that he had from finding that treasure and the treasure was so immense. Very easy. Okay, now, now I need you to participate. Don't think too deeply on these, all right? These are really like, I know we probably don't play much softball, but these are like softball things, okay? So why was the treasure buried? Why was the treasure buried in this, in this text? This is valuable. That's right. This is valuable. If you go into a store and you find something and it's the last one and you forgot your wallet or you don't have the cash to be able to purchase it at that moment, what do you do with that product? 
You were there this morning. You already know these answers. You guys are working together. All right, all right. So, yeah, you, you hide the product, or at least I do. You put it somewhere where no one's going to be able to find it, and then you come back later on and you find it. And unless they're taking really good inventory, it's probably going to be there. It's fine. It's all good. So I gave you a Christmas trick. Um, but in Jesus' day, only the extremely wealthy would bury treasure. Your, your wealth was caught up in land or cattle or servants or whatever it was. That's how you were seen as wealthy. You had to be extremely wealthy, like rare jewels and coins, to actually bury them. Right? There wasn't a bank. There wasn't anything like that in that day. So, next question. You ready? Nehemiah, Jonathan, you can't answer. All right? What was the treasure? What was the treasure? <laughs> yeah, someone answered that this morning earlier. Yeah, you're going too far into it, though. What was the literal treasure in this story? Yeah, kingdom of God, but the man was searching, found a treasure, but we don't know what the treasure was. This is like one of those trick questions, and I just tricked you. Yes, we'll keep going, all right? It needs to be fun for me, too. Otherwise, it's like you're just going to get content coming at you. Now, was it ethical for this man to do it? Was it ethical for him to go onto someone else's land, find treasure, bury it, sell everything he had, and buy the land? Was that ethical? You're not going to be able to come with us. You're not going to be able to... Are you serious, Malachi? That was great. It was ethical. What does ethical mean? No idea. So, here we go. It actually was ethical. It was according to the law. Jewish rabbinic law allowed this to happen. That if you were walking and it was someone else's property and you stumbled upon something that they didn't know that they had, you could rebury it and purchase that land completely legal and not have to tell them why you were doing it. So... Just throwing that out there. Extra, extra stuff. Now, this man, was he looking for the treasure? In this verse, go ahead and look at it if you need to. Was this man looking for the treasure? No, he wasn't. He wasn't looking for it, was he? He stumbled on it, but what happens when he stumbled upon it? What did he see about this treasure? Mm-hmm. This treasure was extremely valuable. So much so that he would do what? Sell everything. Now, let's stop for a minute, all right? What does that mean to sell everything? Now, I know that it means sell everything, all right? It's not like A equals A. I get that. But like, what, what does that really mean? If, if you're supposed to sell everything, what does that mean? What are you losing? Your home? Your business? Yeah? Your future? I mean, most of us don't stop and are like, what if I found something so valuable that I would sell everything I have to get it? Even the sense of security. It's like that treasure better be super valuable because I have to eat, I have to sleep, I have to make a living. Right? But what this man found was so valuable that he was willing to lose everything for it. Yeah. Yeah, that nut job, you know, sold everything to buy, to buy that field. There's nothing in that field. People have tried to farm that field forever. 
That's why it's a field. There's nothing. Crazy. How many of us encountered Jesus in the way that this man stumbled over the treasure? That we were just minding our own business and all of a sudden like we tripped over this, this king, this, this kingdom, this, this one who, who seems to, to love us and move toward us and seems so foreign yet we want him. Right, as I talk to so many people, that's their story. And actually, Matthew, who wrote this text, that's his story. He's sitting in a tax booth, minding his business, extorting everyone. For sure, Matthew had no friends except tax collectors. It actually says that in Mark chapter 2, that he threw a party, and who was there? The sinners and the tax collectors. Like, all the disreputes of the city were there. And, and they began to follow Jesus as well. But he stumbled upon Jesus. Uh, my dad is, um, my dad loves hunting, and uh, he's leveraged hunting uh, to be able to make a career out of getting to speak about hunting, and, but my dad also loves Jesus more than hunting. So my dad will go and he'll speak to thousands of people about hunting and white-tailed deer behavior and things that probably most of you are not interested in, and, uh, but these people are with him, and then he says, but you know what? None of that stuff really matters to me. And then he begins to tell them about Jesus. And thousands and thousands of people have met Jesus through that. And they didn't come to that thing thinking that, oh yeah, I'm going to meet Jesus tonight. They're like, I'm going to find out more about hunting. And yet they stumble over this treasure. And they get to hear about someone who's willing to leave and sell everything to get this treasure. So let me move on to the second. We'll, we'll come back to this story. Let me move on to the second story. Okay, pay attention. You ready? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went, sold everything he had, and he bought it. Okay, so another easy story. Merchant. This merchant is a wholesaler. Okay, so he was used to buying things in great quantity and selling it, making more money than what he bought the wholesale items for. And he he sells pearls, so he's not looking to keep pearls. But what does he do when he finds that one pearl above all other pearls? Yeah, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. Now, just for us to understand pearls in that context, uh, pearls were like diamonds. Okay, pearls were like diamonds. Very, very valuable. If you had a pearl, it meant that someone risked their life to get that pearl. Very rare in that day. I mean, now we have like, you know, a little scuba gear and you like, you know, have fun going down there and finding it and it's all good. But like people would, would tie rocks to themselves around their body to dive down and get, and get pearls in this day. Very rare. And this wholesale merchant, he knows his pearls, right? If you're dealing whatever you're dealing in your, in your realm of, of life, you know what you're selling. You know a good photograph. You know a good cell phone. You know a good whatever, right? You know this. And when he sees the the one that's better than anything else, he sells everything he has, including his business, right? And he buys that one pearl. And who did he buy it for? Who did he buy the pearl for? Mm Mm-hmm. He had always bought pearls to sell them to other people, and now he buys this one pearl for himself. Was this man looking for this pearl? Yeah. Yeah, he was. So this is like juxtaposing the man who trips over the treasure and then the man who finds the pearl. 
it kind of makes sense to us, doesn't it? This idea of like seeking after the one thing that's finally going to change our life, right? How many of us would love that diet that you can eat all you want and you'll still lose weight, right? (laughs) I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, the, The thing that you don't really have to work for. You can do that workout where the longer you lay in bed, the harder your abs actually get, right? It's like, we long for these things, maybe. We long for that stock that you'll buy, and it's like, this is a stock of all stocks, that it only goes up, it never goes down. There's never a depression at all with this. We, I mean, in the U.S., they just had their election, right? I'm, I'm an American and Canadian, um, so I can say whatever I want about Americans because I can speak as one. Um, But the idea, every year, half the country thinks if we could just get this leader in place, then everything is going to be better. And the other half is like, if we can just get our leader in place, then everything is going to get better. And so you end up with this this country divided, right? Thinking that we're going to have a leader that's finally going to do it. That's going to be the great pearl that finally makes it work. And yet we're always disappointed, aren't we? We're always disappointed with our diets, with our careers, with our stocks, with our leaders. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever thought of that one thing that if you just get this one thing, then your life would be fulfilled? And you get it. And what happens? You're not fulfilled. You're like, oh, this isn't as amazing as I thought it was going to be. I've been chasing this thing for so long. I finally get it. And it's like, oh, that's it? Like, Really? You know, it's like a kid with, um, who longs to have an Xbox. I don't know any kids that long for Xboxes. Um, they long to get the Xbox. They finally get it. And it's like, yes! And then their parents are so kind to them. And I know lots of parents that are really kind. Uh, but their parents are so kind that they would buy the ability for them to get to play the games that they want. And so they get to play Fortnite. It's like, yes, Fortnite! But then playing Fortnite isn't enough, is it? What has to come next? You have to buy the battle pass because the battle pass is so necessary. And if I don't get the battle pass, I don't know how I'm going to live. This is, I'm being overly dramatic. My kids do not like this. This is not a true story. This is a parable. This is a parable about imaginary things. But, but it's that same idea. And, and we laugh about it because it's kids. But I could tell the same story about you as an adult. If I could just get that career, okay, now I have it. If I could just get that promotion, okay, now I have it. Now if I could just get to this place, instead, like, we're constantly on that track. And satisfaction is like an oasis. It's an illusion that we can never really get. So what's the treasure or pearl you've been chasing? And I, I don't want any answers yet. But what's the treasure or pearl you've been chasing? And how's it providing for you? Or... In counseling, I I often ask people, how's that working out for you? Like, you said you wanted this thing, you've got it, now you're deeply dissatisfied. Like, how's that working for you? And I don't mean to to be a jerk, I I really want to hear the processing behind it. So we'll come back to these questions in a moment. But what what did Jesus want to communicate by telling these parables? I think there's two things, at least. Number one, is that the kingdom of heaven is priceless. Now, don't hear kingdom of heaven as like a disembodied souls floating around somewhere or like a make-believe world. Jesus said in his ministry, the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is in your midst, which means that it's not everything that's here, but it's some of what's here. 
It seems to be talking about God's sovereign will taking place in a specific realm. And it might be a heavenly realm or an earthly realm. But the kingdom of heaven one day is going to overtake everything. And we'll see that in a second. But that the kingdom of heaven is priceless. And when you see, when you see just how valuable God really is. Like if we, there's curtains in the back. If God was behind the curtain and we got to pull back the curtain completely on who he was, you would be astonished by him. You would, do you know what people do when they see God? They fall on their face. There's no talking, there's no, any, it's just like, they fall on their face. Because he is so beautiful, so perfect, so holy, so other than what we've ever experienced. That we're in awe, and that's, that's what worship really is. You know, the apostle Paul, his name was Saul before, and he was a Christian killer. He had all of the religious pedigree, he had the religious positions, he was a good Jewish man who did what good Jewish leaders did. And Jesus came as a Jewish Messiah. Jesus was a Jewish man, but he said, I'm here for all the nations, all the world. I'm going to be the rescuer. And so Saul, who we know as Paul, went and killed Christians and made sure that this movement of Christianity called the way didn't start. He got to snuff it out as quickly as possible. But then, in classic Jesus form, Jesus comes to him, reveals to him who he really is, and Saul becomes Paul and starts planting churches, telling people about Jesus. And do you know what he says? He says, everything that I gained, all my religious list it's all rubbish in fact it's the closest thing to a swear word we have in the bible is paul calling all the things that he earned through religion he said all that is garbage rubbish compared to jesus that the kingdom of heaven is priceless when you understand who jesus really is everything else begins to fade you get to see the rusty side to it The second reason Jesus was telling these parables is that the kingdom of heaven is costly to receive. It's costly to receive. It's not Jesus and the kingdom of heaven is not a mere add-on. Like you have a phone here and you're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to download the the Jesus kingdom of heaven app. And when I get in a bind, I'm going to pull it out. Like I rub the, the, the lamp and pull the genie up. It's like, oh, I'll just push this and Jesus will come to my rescue. He's just an add-on for me. That's not the kingdom of heaven. You know what Jesus said? He says that you're either all in or you're not in at all. And you got to hear that. The kingdom of heaven, you're either all in or you're not in at all. There's no half in, half out with the kingdom of heaven. And there's real loss involved. We saw this in the parables, didn't we? People were losing things to gain that which was of greatest value to them. But many people think about Christianity only in terms of what they're losing. And they think that by punishing themselves or by, um, by losing certain things that somehow God will look on them with more favor. As if loss is a currency that satisfies God. But that's not true. That's not true at all. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is, is far too expensive for any of us to buy our way into. Our currency really isn't, isn't good at all in the kingdom of heaven. Um, I'm an American, so again, I can pick on Americans a little bit. Uh, but I've been uh, in restaurants where 
an American family or whatever is eating there, and I hear the waiter come by, and they say this much, and then I hear the waiter say, oh, no, 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 like, we don't take American currency here. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Like, we're from America. It's like, no, no, we know that. Like, we get that. But your currency doesn't work here. We have Canadian money. You need to, like, change that. And they're like, well, why am I even visiting? You know, it's like the blow up. You're like, no, it's okay. Like, imagine in that moment that someone from the other side of the room walks over, right? Or actually the waiter comes back over and says, oh, good news, sir. Good news. Someone across the room actually in, in the proper currency paid off your meal. You're all set. You can leave. And you said, no, I am going to pay for this in my currency the way I want to. You see, this is, this is where the kingdom of heaven and our idea butt up against one another. Because we think that Jesus is talking about religion. I need to pay my own way. I need to figure it out. It's through loss. It's through showing God how valuable I am. And Jesus is like, none of that stuff works. The only way that you get to enter into my kingdom is by taking the fact that I just bought your eternal meal forever. I bought you a place in the family of God. I bought you um, an inheritance. I bought you forgiveness. I purchased all these things for you. And it's on the table and I'm sliding it over to you and all you need to do is take it. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so cheap. Because we're like, well, what am I going to contribute? It's like, well, just take it and let me change you. So it's like the man who gets his meal paid for and then that impacts him for the rest of his life so that he's constantly paying off other people's meals because he's experienced such generosity from God that he can't help but do that. And that's kind of like what happens when we enter into the kingdom. Jesus says, I'm going to make you more and more like me. And you're going to find yourself having the impulses to do things that look more and more like me. And, and you're going to fight against that. You're going to be like, no, 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 I can't just do that. It's like, yes, you can be that generous. Yes, you can be that free. Yes, you can overcome these things. But the kingdom of heaven is costly to receive, but it was costly to Jesus, not to us. Do you get that? It's costly to Jesus, not to us. Because Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life. You and I, I, I don't know all your stories, but you're not perfect, right? Sometimes we look at kids, we have wonderful kids here. Sometimes we look at kids, we're like, ah, what pictures of innocence? I'm like, that's not true. Come on, we know that. Like, it doesn't take kids very long to learn uh, to scream when they're angry, right? It's like, you're like three months old. Who taught you that? No one. And that gets bigger and bigger and bigger as we grow up, but we just learn how to pretend that it's not there. But none of us are perfect. And yet Jesus, when he came, he came intentionally to live a perfect life. Not to say like, ha ha ha, look what I can do that you can't do. He says, look what I'm doing for you because you can't do it. And Jesus went to the cross and gladly laid down his perfect life so that you and I, that, that currency that we don't have and can't use, Jesus said, my death is your currency. I'm paying it for you. Now you have entrance into my kingdom. Now you have a place in my family. Now we're building on an addition on this eternal home that you get to have a a piece in, right? You're in. And he rises from the dead, right? Once in a while, I have to remind myself, like, it's so crazy that I believe in resurrection. Like, I've done funerals, and I'm like, that would be crazy if that, like, and scary if that person just sits up. Um, But Jesus literally gets up from the grave, And says, 
the, the promise that I'm making to you is one day, if you're part of my kingdom, you're going to be just like me. One day, death is going to die in my kingdom. And do you know what these parables show us as well? Is the personal reality of the kingdom of heaven. These aren't like this big group of people. These are individuals. These are individuals that are gaining um, entrance into the kingdom that, that Jesus really wants you. And this is a reality that you and I have to make decisions about this. It's not our parents' decision. It's not our spouse's or friend's decision. It's me. What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? Now, I want to end our time before we participate together by just sharing uh, the two parables at the beginning that show the immense value of the kingdom of God. Because sometimes we can hear about the kingdom of God and we're like, oh, it sounds so... um, generic. I don't really know how to put a definition to that. It's like, yeah, I, I like it, but I don't know. Well, listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 13, 31 to 33. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it was all leavened. Have you ever held a mustard seed in your hand before? They are so tiny. It's, it's, seriously, you, it almost gets lost in your hand. And I have like little hands, right? And, and it like gets lost in there. And if you want to save it and put it in your jacket, guaranteed it's going to fall out when you reach for something or you won't be able to find it. So tiny, so insignificant. If I gave you for Christmas this year, I'm like, hey, I got you all presents. And you're like, yes. Have you line up, you know, socially distance? And I kind of toss it to you. And you're like, what's this? And like, it's a mustard seed. You'd be like, that, that was very non-generous of you, Right? You would probably not think highly of me because mustard seeds are nothing. They're insignificant. But the power isn't in its seed form, is it? The power is in what the mustard seed becomes. The mustard plant becomes massive. And its root system actually goes much deeper than it goes height-wise. So it's, it's a massive plant that goes deep, deep, deep to sustain it, being able to grow tall. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is. You look at Jesus and you're like, ah, how is Jesus really going to transform me completely? How is Jesus really that great? How is the kingdom of heaven going to be that, that amazing? But once you see the fullness and the, the grandioseness of the kingdom of heaven, it's overwhelming. And we don't have time right now to unpack all that, but we will. But here's, here's a, a bit of what the kingdom of heaven provides for us. And we all long for these things. It provides for us perfection how many of us want to be perfect man I do I want to be perfect in everything I do how many of you grad students are perfectionists and somehow you've ended up in a program like I don't know perfectionism just led led me to this place right perfectionism we we want to be right we want to be righteous and in the kingdom of heaven we actually are made righteous and one day we are perfect that we're forgiven that we're remade to be like Jesus No shame, no guilt stains exist any longer. That we all long to belong. And this is coming out huge during the pandemic. That we want to belong somewhere. And Jesus is saying you can belong to a family that you will never be taken away from. You are, I I know I invent words, but I invented this one too. You are unlosable. You are unlosable. 
The Father will never, God the Father will never, ever lose you. He'll never let anyone snatch you out of his hand. He's got you. Even if you feel like you're as insignificant as a mustard seed today, he knows exactly where you are. And he takes great joy in you. That we long to matter. And here's the reality, in the kingdom of heaven, we do. That you have a real purpose. You all have a real purpose. And I don't know the fullness of that. But if you're alive today, then you, you matter. Because if you didn't matter, you wouldn't be here. I'm convinced that God doesn't allow for non-mattering people to keep existing. So you matter. He's given you a gift. If you're part of the church, he's given you a gift for you to be able to use, not for yourself, but for others, to build others up. And the kingdom of heaven provides safety, eternal safety, where even death itself cannot harm you. I mean, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? That death itself can't harm us. One day, Isaiah 25 tells us that God is going to stand up with with a cup, the cup of death, and we're all going to be there on that day. And God's going to look around the room. He's going to identify what's in his hand. He's going to drink it down, slam the cup down, and death is no more. And from that point on, it's going to be a party. You are safe. See, the reality is that the kingdom of heaven is taking over through the people of Jesus, through the kingdom of heaven. And you're part of that kingdom if you're a follower of Jesus. And one day, this parable of the the woman that puts a little leaven in this 50 pounds of flour, that leaven takes over everything. And there's no more unleavened flour, is there? Jesus says, my kingdom's like that one day. Nothing is going to exist that doesn't bring me full glory. Nothing is going to exist that isn't for my honor. Nothing is going to exist that isn't eternally valuable. That's what his kingdom is doing. So what do we do with all this? Right? These are great parables. But again, walnut or do we want to crack the walnut open and actually get inside of that? Well, we're going to respond in a few ways. One, we'll get ready to... um, to process together. But if you're not part of this kingdom, then you are so welcomed into it this morning. Jesus is waiting, well, here, but it's that idea of him being on the other side of the restaurant saying, I know you don't have the currency to pay for this, but this is why I came. This is why I did this. That he came to lay down his life for you. And you can pray and ask him, will you have me in your kingdom? Will you forgive me? Thank you that you died on the cross for me. And you'll be part of his kingdom. Maybe, maybe you, you've known Jesus for a few days, a long time. And you've forgotten how valuable he really is. That you find yourself scheming and plotting and planning on what the next thing of value is going to be. And you forget the fact that you have the, the treasure. You forget that you have the pearl of, of priceless value. And so maybe this morning you need to be returning back and saying, ah, would you give me joy? Not in what I'm going to do, but in in what I have and that I have you. That comparison is the thief of joy, isn't it? And maybe, maybe you've been living a life of comparison for a long time. And Jesus says, I want you to just compare everything else to me this morning. And I want you to find all your joy in me. Or maybe you've just been chasing something else. Well, turn away from that.